What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one ranked show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we are going to recap week five of the USFL in this, our USFL Spotlight episode. We're going to talk with Pittsburgh Maulers quarterback, Vad Lee, and I want to briefly mention my midseason USFL All-Star team, which will be coming out on Fox Sports at the app later this week, but off the rip, I got to tell you, man, even with 280 players, I didn't have a hard time filling out this list. We've had some outstanding plays and outstanding players here. Donald Payne playing inside linebacker, leads the league in tackles. I think that's a shoe-in. We also had Channing Stribling, who's got four interceptions in the four games he played. Lots to discuss there. But I want to talk with Vad Lee about being the quarterback to get Pittsburgh over the hump. And that might have influence where the Maulers are in my power rankings, which we will talk about just a little bit later. For now, let's talk to Vad. I'm pleased to be joined by Pittsburgh Maulers quarterback, Vad Lee. Vad, how you doing, man? I am well, doing well. So at the end of the game yesterday, when you led the Maulers to their first win in the inaugural USFL season, you were overcome with emotion. What was going through your mind then? Uh, yeah, um, it's been a long journey for me. Um, I, I've, um, I have a beautiful wife at home who's in dental school. Um, she's in her, born into her third year. We have two daughters, um, Soraya and Sanaya. And um, obviously me being here is a huge sacrifice. Um, and in fact, my youngest is sick right now. So, you know, had those things, those thoughts going on. But also from the football standpoint, um, you know, coming out of college, I was one of the top players coming out and I got injured my senior year. And, you know, when you get injured at the wrong time, people kind of move on and move past you. And, you know, this has been my dream since day one, um, since I was four years old. So being able to throw a game winning touchdown with literally no seconds on the clock is what you dream about. Um, that little boy in the back of the yard throwing the game winning touchdown pass at the tree was that was me a long time ago. And to finally be able to do it in a professional setting was huge. I feel that. Uh, I also feel the the two little ones that you care for that you really had to leave to go pursue your dream. Also, shout out Sanaya. You know, Sanaya Latham comes to my mind. But your <laughs> name is Vad. And as we were talking about this before the show, it's short for something. Could you tell us? Yes. Yeah, so my full name is Lavadier. And um, L-A-V-A-E-D-E-A-Y. Um, try spelling that when you're two and three years old. <laughs> um, but no, my full name is Levadier. Um, doesn't really have um, much of a meaning. I think I found out recently, you know, not that I think, but I found out that it's actually my biological father's. Um, that's his middle name. And him, him and I have um, built a great relationship. Uh, you know, of course, I have to shout out my, my parents, my, my mom and my, uh, my, my father, my stepfather, who's I consider my father as well. Um, but yeah, my full name is Levadier, and I just go by Vad for short. My high school coach always called me Vad, um, Coach Antonio King. So he put that on the roster. And as soon as you start getting recruited, people see that name and you kind of run with it. So that's that's my name. No, hey, look, I get that, right? Uh, my father called me RJ coming up, and it's stuck with me ever since. It's everywhere I go. Absolutely. And you've been all over playing football, right? I want to talk first about how did you end up at Georgia Tech? 
Yeah. So um, coming out of high school, my sophomore year, um, I had a thousand yards receiving my sophomore year. Uh, but I was the backup quarterback. We had a really good quarterback in front of me who was a senior. Um, his name is Corey Gaddis. He ended up going to Duke University on scholarship. And I, everybody knew that I was next in coming, but I had to wait my turn. But because I'm so athletic, I was able to get out there and have a thousand yards receiving. So when college coaches came, um, everybody was saying, hey, man, we're offering you as our receiver. And I was a bit confused, like, uh... I know, I know you saw me playing receiver, but coach, I'm actually a quarterback. And, you know, you, you should have seen some of the look on some of those coaches' faces. Um, you know, some of them told me right from jump, you're not a quarterback, you're a receiver. And I had a really hard time with that. Um, my dream and what I believe is I was a quarterback. And I was just looking for a team to come in and tell me that I was their quarterback without all of this athlete word, with all, all, all of this other stuff connected. I wanted somebody to look me in the face and say, hey, you're our quarterback. And Georgia Tech was the first school, despite the offense that they were running at the time, I didn't know anything about the triple option. I just knew that somebody came in and said, hey, you're our guy, you're our quarterback. And I appreciated them for that. And um, I like to stay loyal and committed. And um, I committed to them. Had a lot of teams coming at the end once once things started rolling um, as a quarterback and, and the word got out, you know, my play and my skill sets was getting out. Had a lot of bunch of offers towards the end. But um, but I decided to, to, to commit to Georgia Tech and that's how I got there. You could do a lot worse than Georgia Tech and playing for Coach Johnson. And you did better, right? Uh, when you last played there, seven to six, I believe you took it to a bowl game. How did that end? How'd you end up, well, making the decision to transfer to James Madison? Well, um, you know, in recruiting, you get told a lot of things. And um, ultimately, it came down to me wanting to throw the ball and show my entire skill set. Um, Georgia Tech was a, a very run-heavy offense. And, um, you know, I had dreams. I had dreams and still have dreams um, to play at the highest level. And for me, I knew that I needed to at least show them what I can do um, in, in a full, um, you know, balanced offense. So I decided to go to James Madison and I decided to transfer down. What, what some people would see, what some people would say is a step down. I had some of my teammates looking at me crazy. I was a starting quarterback in the ACC and the starting quarterback decides to transfer down a level um, just so I can have two years to perform because if I would have went to another bigger school, um, I would only had one. You had to have to sit out. I didn't graduate at the time. So I decided to go to James Madison to give me an opportunity to pass the ball a little bit more. Um, and it was a step up for me. It was, a, it, you know, some people see it as a step down, but it was an absolutely step up for me. I got to throw the ball probably 25, 30 times a game. And uh, we played some D1 teams and beat some D1 teams while I was there. Um, college game day, ESPN, all of those cool things that um, everybody dream about, it, it happened on that level. So I have a mantra that I go by purpose over position, which is actually a book that I wrote. And, um, and, and that's a lot of that story I tell in there. I find that fascinating for two reasons. One, you're at a time when we don't have this thing called the transfer portal. We don't have immediate eligibility, and that gets conveniently lost in this new college football landscape. But also, hey, man, I'm a college football dude through and through. James Madison ain't no joke, right? They ain't no punks out there, right? The dudes can play. So what was it like for you to show up and know not just that you could play with them, but you had a bunch of dudes that wanted to play with you as you put together an undefeated start to a season, man? 
for sure. Um, JMU is one of the best schools in the nation, and um, they can use this to be a great recruiting pitch because I stand by it. Um, everybody know if anybody who had a chance to come visit JMU is such a beautiful campus, but we have a lot of great talent as well, um, great coaches, and we had a lot of dudes on our team. In fact, they won the, they won the national championship the year after um, me, and everybody came back. Everybody came back except me, really. And um, it was destined. It's always been destined for JMU to play um, at a high level, which they just moved up um, to the big dogs. So I'm, I'm, JMU is an awesome school with awesome talent, with hidden gems that, um, that you know, even got a lot of guys in the league right now um, from James, James Madison University. Hey, they're not going to be too hidden for too long because I'm looking and I'm always trying to find dudes, especially in the FCS, that I know can play. One of the things I, I tell everybody is there are football players everywhere, right? We do a great job as a country of raising up great, outstanding football players. So much so that after stops at Your Call Football and the Canadian Football League, you got a phone call from, I assume, Chris Watts saying, do you want to come play quarterback for the Pittsburgh Maulers? How did that happen for you? Yes. Um, so um, interesting story. Um, the, the, the quarterback coach here, John Tomlinson, I got to give him um, big props because I think he was probably the one that kind of stood on the table for me. Hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately, this, you know, you can get lost in the system and um, there's so many guys out there that are competing and grinding. And sometimes, you know, I tell people this, I tell my young guys this all the time is, Sometimes the best player isn't, isn't the one on the roster. Sometimes the best player is at home working out or, or training or whatever. You just got to keep going, keep pressing. But I have to give Coach Thomason big props because um, when he first got the job, you know, back in February, I was looking at all the coaches, see who I might know, a mutual connection. And um, I was scrolling on Facebook and um, I – I was scrolling and I seen John Thomason name come up. And um, one of my old high school coaches um, re responded or put a post out there of him and said, hey, this is really cool. One of my former high school coaches at Hillside High School in Durham, North Carolina. Well, I played at Hillside High School in Durham, North Carolina. But this coach, Coach Thomason, coached there in the 90s. And I'm like, wow, that's a special connection. And um, so I reached out to um, my high school coach, um, Torian, and um, I said, hey, man, like, make this connection for me. And um, he was like, man, we already talked about you. So that was really cool. And Coach Thomason and I, you know, I think right then he kind of knew my name. We never really connected, but I think he kind of knew my name. Kind of, I was on a list or something. And um, when this opportunity came, I think Coach Kirby Wilson, he wanted a, a more mobile um, quarterback, a dual threat guy, and, um, and my name came up. So I'm, I'm extremely blessed and honored that um, they, they, they sent me the call. No, that's what's up. And to see how you took to it, right? You come in, in the second quarter and you are telling Coach Wilson, hey, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to go about doing this. And you're taking some shots, throwing the ball around. I was looking at the way that Pittsburgh is going about making some offensive changes. And I saw some similarities to what the New Jersey Generals are doing. One of those things being in someone like you who could extend plays with his legs. But you also got some outstanding wide receivers out there. I, and I want to know what was it like for you to know that Bailey Gaither and Trey Walker in particular are going to catch anything you put around them. Yes, yes. We, um, well, we re really have to give a huge shout out to the receivers, um, you know, Hardaway, Bailey, and Trey. Um, we had three receivers going into that game. 
they had no subs. I don't know if that got out there. But uh, we had three receivers. And one time, Trey, I think it was on the first drive um, with Kyle, um, and Trey caught a couple passes, and he tapped his helmet to, for a sub. Well, we didn't have any subs. In fact, maybe I would have had to put my receiver jersey on <laughs> sophomore year um, and get back out there. But um, we 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 played – they played extremely hard. Um, they never pouted, never doubted. Um, they made some huge plays. And and Bailey, I mean, man, just just unbelievable, right? Um, being able to put the ball up and, and knowing that he's going to come down with it is a huge advantage for your quarterback and confidence and especially a new guy like myself. I find it fascinating that you come in at just the moment when it felt like Pittsburgh was going to come together. I wonder how much you knew about what the struggles were for them in the first four weeks of the season. Yeah, well, um, I watched every game, and I have a notebook um, that I wrote down all the plays that I could hear um, and, you know, trying to figure out their playbook, honestly. Um, I knew that they had a strong defense, and I'm like, man, if, if we can get in the end zone or, you know, if, if the offense can get rolling, this team has a lot of potential and a lot of opportunity. Um, one cool story is I know about three or four defensive guys on this team from um, the spring league. I played in the spring league last year. And, in fact, those guys were on an 0-4 team, and I came in when they were 0-4. And I came in, um, I was on another team, and I ended up getting switched to that team while they were 0-4. We ended up turning that season around. We didn't pick up the win, um, but we ended up having the best game versus the number one team that year. And um, those guys remember that. And when I came in, it was like, hey, we got another shot at this opportunity of an 0-4 type of situation. And, um, and, and now we got a, a, an opportunity to turn it around and come in the win column this time. It has been a really interesting road for Coach Wilson, who has been a coach for the better part of 40 years, and this is his first head coaching opportunity. What have you seen from his personality and from his leadership that you value? Yeah, Coach Wilson is, um, excuse me, he's an unbelievable um, um, guy and um, he's a he's an intense leader um, he's a guy who um, want us to play by the rules and he will remind you rules 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 and um, that's one thing that he'll say just 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 focus on your rules and um, you know as a, as a guy coming in um, I didn't have a lot of you know a bunch of plays right I didn't have a lot of exotic things what I had was just uh, a, a few simple simplicity. That's what that's what I can say that Coach um, Wilson helped me with during the game is really keeping it simple and um, and and just letting playmakers make plays. How have you acclimated to the unique situation that is what the United States Football League has done with its players, which most of these dudes still stay in the Sheridan and some of them have moved around, but all the games are played at Protective so far. And you've been going all around to these different practice locations. What have you had to adapt to as you took the plunge into the USFL? Yeah, um, honestly, the first thing that comes up is um, food. <laughs> um, it, finding out um, what's for lunch and what's for dinner is like the, the hardest things now. You know, I'm used to being at home with my kids and cooking something or my, having my wife, um, 
whip something up or whatever. But um, honestly, that's been the biggest ad um, adaption is, you know, eight feet is really good for breakfast, but um, we, we have to figure out for lunch and dinner. And um, but so that's one thing. <laughs> that was the first thing that came up. Sorry. Um, but other than that, um, really, I kind of got a head start a little bit with the spring league last year because this is ran very similarly. Um, all the guys stayed at the same hotel. So you're able to see your opponents. You're able to see your teammates. You're able to see, um, you're able to see everybody. And, um, and I've been extremely blessed to kind of have that advantage, I would say, um, to kind of know how it flows. And yeah, it's been, it's been a cool adjustment. It's pretty chill, pretty simple. This is professional football. We get it in and get out and, and watch film and, um, take care of our bodies for the most part. I have been very encouraged uh, by just what kind of character this league has attracted. Uh, a bunch of fellas, not unlike yourself. I just want an opportunity. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care who I'm playing for. Put me on a football field. Let me get some tape out here. Let's see if we can't win some games. Does that environment seem intoxicating to you? Yeah. Um, you know, from yeah, for me, it's... I believe that, you know, some people are made for this. And um, I believe I was made for this. And, you know, that doesn't always correlate to an opportunity, though. You know, sometimes you might have the right timing, but the wrong opportunity. Or you might have the, the right opportunity, but the wrong timing, you know. And it's just uh, going back to my mantra, purpose over position. You have to prepare, and I've been I've been preparing as if I had the position all along, and you know then I'm able to go out there and and show everybody what I got. But it's really not showing everybody what I got. It's greatness already lives inside of me, and um, so I think I said in an interview during the game. Um, I think I said in an interview during the game that I don't have anything to lose, and we really don't. You know these guys out here. When you I've seen. Two approaches. I've seen guys pressing hard because they really want to go to the NFL and they're trying to make this thing happen. And, and it just doesn't necessarily always work out like that. I take the approach, which is the other approach, is playing free. Um, I absolutely play, play free. Um, I think that's probably the best approach to take to the game because it's not about the next thing. It's about the right now moment. And, if, you know, I, I remind my guys, um, this is an acronym that I keep near is WIN, W-I-N. What's important now? That's something that's important to me is what's important now. And that's how we're going to be able to win and, 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 and get our guys going and hopefully get a game two um, in the win column as well. I'm curious about your relationship with Kyle Laletta because if I think I got this right in that he went to Richmond. Yes. You ended up going to James Madison. Mm -hmm. He was the first pick for the Maulers and you're showing up really at the halfway point of the season, how have y'all been able to bounce off of each other and help each other so that you can get this win against Houston last Sunday? Yeah, Kyle is an absolutely pro. He's a, he's a pro. He's a pro. Um, and cool story about Kyle and I, um, we played back in 2015, um, both really, um, really good teams. I think they were ranked top five. We were ranked number one um, or number two. And college game day came to that game versus Kyle and, you know, Vad, you know, Richmond and JMU. Well, that was the game that ended my career at JMU. And um, I get an email the next day from Kyle. And I thought that was amazing. Um, I thought that was incredible 
for, you know, for him to be in college and him to be so young and to email me, um, to say, Hey man, I'm thinking about you. Sorry that happened to you. And, um, you know, get back. So Kyle and I built a relationship then because I, of course I emailed him back and, um, then he went on to, um, the giants and had a career there. And I probably threw a couple tweets out there, you know, in support for Kyle and now having an opportunity to be able to team up with him. In fact, I would text Kyle um, when I wasn't playing and kind of I've, I've been in the chaplain role and the character coach role um, when I wasn't playing. And um, I would text a bunch of guys, you know, scripture and different things um, before their games. And Kyle was one of those guys that I would text. And now to be able to team up with him is uh, unbelievable. He knows the offense um, like the back of his hand. And, and um, he really helped me. Um, to, to get everything um, together during the game this past Sunday. That's gorgeous. It's gorgeous for a number of reasons. Uh, he did not have to be as ingratiating. And there are lots of examples that we could point to where quarterbacks aren't ingratiating. They look at it as an opportunity for them to prove as opposed to an opportunity for them to teach or form something like a brotherhood. So even being able to see you guys on the sideline, going over the iPad and seeing what you see was very cool for me to see. And for you to share that story, also just another reason why I love this league. But I always ask this question to players like yourself who are gracious enough to come on the show. Why did you want this opportunity to play in the USFL? Why did I want this opportunity? Um, I think it goes back to all the work that have been put in, all the sacrifices that have been put in, all the unknown that has been put in. Um, when, you, when, when I started this journey back in 2015, I knew that I was on course to be a professional football player. I had no idea that the USFL would be a league in 2022. Um, however, this is an unbelievable opportunity for guys like myself who may not have had the opportunity to go to that NFL level or to be able to showcase their skills at that level. This is a wonderful opportunity to now say, hey, I'm not looking beyond this moment. I'm not looking to the NFL. I'm looking at this USFL because this is my right now moment. I have an unbelievable opportunity to lead the Pittsburgh Maulers to um, history, right? Every game that we win is history. Every, every, Every stat that we have is history. And this is a wonderful opportunity, again, going to the mantra purpose of a position. I've been, I've been striving for this my whole life since I was four years old. And for somebody to say, hey, you're our quarterback, a professional team to say, hey, you're our quarterback, to be able to play in the States and say, hey, you're our quarterback, it means a great deal to me. And that's why I was so emotional um, after the game because it's just like that high school kid that I was talking about. Uh, when I was in high school and I said, I just wanted somebody to come in and say, hey, you're our quarterback. And it's been it's been humbling um, to have this opportunity for my teammates to embrace me as their quarterback. Before I let you go, I need you to tell me your wife's name and uh, it's going the first name is going to be doctor and where she's going to school <laughs> for dentistry. Yes, Dr. Kayla Lee. Um, yes. And she is at Howard University and she's in dental school. Um, at Howard, and she is doing her thing. Um, I'm so proud of her, and I always try to shout her out every time I get on here because it's hard. It's hard, and um, I've seen her journey, and it's hard, um, but we both are trying to operate in purpose, and 
and over our position. So um, that's 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 my my love. So I appreciate her. Hey man, now now you're gonna have all the Howard people showing up, being like, see, see, we putting hey, them on, RJ. We putting them on. Then I gotta hey, hear from Morehouse. Then I'm gonna have to hear from Morris Brown. Nah, <laughs> that's what's up though. I'm very excited to see your journey and to hear, yeah. Your wife is doing all right, man. Dr. Lee in the house. I love this. Very cool. Bad Lee, quarterback, Pittsburgh Maulers. Thank you so much for joining us here on the number one ranked show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My thanks to Bad Lee for joining us here on the number one ranked show. You know, one of my favorite things on this show is hearing the stories of how players have ended up in the United States Football League and the impassioned answers that they give us. When I asked them what could be just a generic question about, hey, why did you want to play football in a professional football league? But what is underneath that is such emotion and such a journey and such a story that you want to hear it, right? Also, again, shout out to the future, Dr. Lee, who is at Howard studying dentistry. I really love that. Y'all know that I have a very special place in my heart for coaches' wives, players' wives, doing a lot of the work that doesn't get seen. Okay, now I want to talk about my power rankings at the mid-season point, right? We're halfway through the USFL season. It has gone by so quickly. But one thing has been constant from the jump. At number one, the Birmingham Stallions just remain consistent. Finding different ways to win football games each and every week. They are the only undefeated team left in the USFL at 5-0. and And there is no real recipe to how they are winning. They've done it with defense. They've done it running. They've done it passing. This time, they played what I thought was one of the better games that I've seen any USFL team play. They held the ball for 38-plus minutes. Jamar Smith came off the bench to have an outstanding day. I think he completed 75% of his passes for over 200 yards, and C.J. Marable went over 100 yards rushing the same week that the Stallions signed former Alabama running back Bo Scarborough. Looking ahead... I expect Bo Scarborough to really get into this offense and into the run game, not unlike the way in which he was used to close out their win this past weekend. I also thought it was interesting that Coach Holtz thought that Scarborough was a guy they needed. It's interesting for an undefeated team to say we're still adding pieces, but you could see the physical element that he gives the Stallions, especially at the end of the game when they were trying to run the clock out against the Philadelphia Stars. Okay, number two on the list, the New Jersey Generals. Also played a really outstanding game against the Breakers, who I thought were a really great football team in Jersey Generals have displayed. Hey, look, we're pretty doggone good too, RJ. You also saw for the first time all season, Mike Riley go away from his two quarterback system. He chose to start DeAndre Johnson. And because the pass rush was so good and because defense coordinator John Tatula was adamant about running man coverage and trying to come after the quarterback, Coach Riley made the decision to stick with DeAndre because of his ability to move in the pocket and complete passes down the field. They also ran for a ton of yards. They had great balance. As a matter of fact, it's one of those things that Coach Riley was really ecstatic about in the postgame. We were balanced running the ball. We were balanced passing the ball. That's what you want to see. And then they got a great defensive, well, play, two plays out of Shalom Mulawani, who had two interceptions in his first game back after missing two. Really a great and complete game for the Generals who look like the class of the North Division, but there's still half the season left to play. Number three on the list, I moved the Tampa Bay Bandits here. Todd Haley's Bandits were outstanding against the Michigan Panthers, 27-20 to in their victory. They were able to stymie running back Reggie Corbin 
for just 28 rush yards on 12 carries. This is significant because in the previous week, Reggie Corbin had gone for 152 rush yards on just 12 carries. Outstanding defense uh, called by Pepper Johnson, and really that entire defense has been playing really well. They have an authentic 3-4 where they get big and nasty up front. Those guys eat up blocks so that you have linebackers like Christian Sam and Greg Reeves who could run around making plays, and that's exactly what they did. As a matter of fact, Christian Sam is in the post-game press conference, and I asked him what he thought about Greg Reeves' play. He says, I don't even know why I'm sitting here. Greg was the dude that was balling out. He had a tip pass that ended up being an interception. He came up with a forced fumble late to secure the win for them. Outstanding play for the Tampa Bay Bandits, and it's nice to see Todd Haley really smiling and having a good time. As a matter of fact, Jordan Tamu made one of the fantastic plays of the weekend where it was a flea flicker to fly. Got the pitch back. He fumbled the ball. He spun around and he completed a pass to Derek Dillon that ended up going for six. Todd Haley later said it is the best play that I've ever seen. And that man's been coaching football for the better part of 25 years. Not bad for Jordan Tamu, who has been really one of the stalwarts of this league. I look around this league and I've seen quarterback changes everywhere. Not at Tampa. He's held that job and they want him to hold that job. That's really, really good for them as they're trying to inch back into this conversation as perhaps the second team in the South Division to make the playoffs. Number four on the list, the New Orleans Breakers. It's the first bad game I've seen the Breakers play, which is saying a lot because they've been playing really well defensively and offensively. Kyle Sloter, after passing for 400 yards in the previous uh, week, just couldn't find a rhythm. And there was a lot going on here. Number one, Birmingham is humid and it's hot. So we saw a bunch of guys going down with cramps, uh, specifically on the defensive line. A lot of stoppages in play, and that affected the Breakers offense, who likes to go fast. They like to go at warp speed. If you're a college football fan, you're familiar with what Josh Heupel does at Tennessee, with what Jeff Levy and Lane Kiffin were doing at Ole Miss, and what you're probably going to see at Oklahoma, where they want to get on the ball and snap it and go to try to catch the defenses off guard. They weren't able to do that with penalties and with stoppages in play. Also add to that, they were without offensive coordinator Noel Mazzone, who usually is calling the plays, right? So Larry Fedora picked up a play card for the first time since he was offensive coordinator at Baylor in 2020, of all places. All those things seem to work against them in some way, shape, or fashion, but Coach Fedora refused to make any excuses. He said, look, I'm the head coach. It's on me. We got to be better. We got to do better. And I think they will. I think they retain this four spot. Number five on the list, Philadelphia Stars, coached by Bart Andrus, who really is make it happen without his number one pick at quarterback. You'll know that Brian Scott went out with injury a couple weeks ago. Case Cook is, has since relieved him. He went 19 or 35 for 191 yards. I didn't think that he looked great. I didn't think that he was able to find a rhythm. Coach Andrews is going, hey, I thought he played pretty well. I thought some of our receivers were not on the same page as him, and we have to fix that. But I also thought that Coach Andrews, once again, was showing just how much he has paid attention to the USFL rules and how comfortable he is with them. If there is a corollary between, say, Bill Belichick and sending out a tackle eligible, I think you're seeing that with Coach Andrus, which is interesting because he's the first coach to call and successfully convert a three-point conversion. And then he had told his defense late in the game against the, uh, excuse me, who did they play? I'm, I'm looking at this again. Against the Generals. No, against Stallions. See? Had to think about it against the Stallions to let them score because the Stallions were trying to run the ball out and run the clock out. But Andrew's saying that, hey, I told our defense three times, let them score so much so that I sent the player in there and said, let them score. And I said, why would you want to do that? 
because we get the ball back. We get the ball back. We go score. And with the USFL's unique rule, you could elect to go for it on fourth and 12 from your own 35 as opposed to onside kicking. You pick that up and then you go score again. All of a sudden, you're back in this ball game and a game that they lost by 13 is a game that they could have won by at least 14, if not more. thought that was kind of cool and I would have liked to have seen how that would have gone down, but the Stallions are really good at holding on to the ball. Number six on the list. I'm moving up to Pittsburgh Maulers. Okay. Emotional win. They found what I think is their quarterback in badly. And it was an excuse to really take a look at what they were doing and how they were doing. As a matter of fact, I love this quote that badly gave in the post game. Just keep working. Don't quit. I was close to quitting so many times, but I'm here and I have nothing to lose. Those words I think could accurately describe the Pittsburgh Maulers franchise. You're playing with house money now. Nobody expects you to be any good. So go out there and play with everything you have and see where you end up at the end. And I think if they can put together something like a winning streak, it wouldn't be long before we have to talk about the Maulers perhaps getting that second spot in the North Division. Very excited to see what lies ahead for Kirby Wilson in his first season as a head coach pro football. Number seven, I have the Michigan Panthers. Shea Patterson played his behind off. He had a 300-yard passing performance, found his five-star form, was getting some great play from his receivers, really moving around well. We saw Paxton Lynch wasn't even in pads for this game, so Shea didn't have to think about whether or not he was going to get the hook. It's just whether or not these guys were able to finish games in the way that so many have either failed to or been able to. And I want to lead into the Houston Gamblers by saying that at number eight. The Panthers and the Gamblers have played great football, and they've been in every game that they have played. It's just been heartbreaking at the end, right? Either you had a kicking issue or you gave up a late touchdown. One thing or another, the margins have been so small in this league, and that's one of the reasons that I enjoy it. The competition is right there. As a matter of fact, Coach Riley said it in his postgame presser when they beat the New Orleans Breakers. He's like, look, it's really difficult to gauge whether or not you're good because everybody you play is pretty good. And we thought the Breakers were really good. We're going to take a lot from this win. But one through eight, every one of these teams can beat you. It's just what can you do at the end of the games that ultimately decides it. Okay. Before we get out of here, I want to, again, remind you that USFL Spotlight episodes come out on Tuesdays and our normal college football show comes out on Thursday. And we have a lot to discuss on that college football show. Chief among them, Alabama and Texas is on Big Fox and your boy is excited. That's going to do it for me. Deuces.